0: stage, and all the men and women merely players. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Though we disagree with Shakespeare about the cynicism and despair saturating that famous monologue of his, we have to admit that he was seeing something clearly. Each of us has a role. It changes throughout life, and one day our part will be concluded." In heaven, we'll have no need for characterizations like employee, parent, or spouse. Jim invites us to live with that in mind.
1: Yesterday we were talking about how our faith is to find expression in the most basic, the most domestic relationships we have. And the overarching theme yesterday was the matter of sanctity of life and what is it that gives life sanctity. Uh, some of you weren't there. Let me, um, let me use the Ephesian passage to quickly summarize the four or five points that I would want you to, to take from the Colossian passage or from this passage, either Colossians 3, where there's a parallel passage, or here in Ephesians chapter 6. Since we dealt with Colossians yesterday, let's uh, take a look at the Ephesian counterpart Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And tonight, let's start with. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 5, concentrating on that portion where Paul is talking about slaves and masters. Now, the same wordage is used in relationship to wives and husbands, children and parents, fathers and children. That same language is used. All of this this instruction flows out of of Ephesians, chapter 5. And verse 21, the verse there reads, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And you'll notice that's one of the characteristics of a person who has been filled or is being filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 16, do not be drunk with wine, which, uh, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, giving thanks for all things, and submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord." The fear of the Lord, that's the great foundation, that's the basic rock out of which all sanctity of life draws its strength, its truth, its direction, its motivation. Life is sacred because God has created it, life should be treated as sacred in fear of the one who has created it, who has sanctified it, and who has uh, uh, perpetuated it. Remember that even in those passages leading up to the world wide flood, even in those passages, during describing conditions in, in Earth's darkest hour in past history, an hour which uh, only eight people survived, even in that time, even back then, It talks about man being in the image of God, fashioned in God's image, and therefore having having, uh, worth and dignity and value because of the Creator. Now, in the submission passage, then, the wives are to be subject to their husbands as to the Lord, as in the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that is, with the same, not only the same, passion, uh, after the same pattern, but for the same purpose. The husband is to, is to honor and to love and to devote himself to his wife. Uh, children to parents, and parents are likewise to be respectful of the child, not failing to discipline the child, but disciplining in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and not frustrating the child by unreasonable or or by inconsistent patterns of discipline. But then we come to this block that talks about slaves and masters. Let's read it, Ephesians chapter six and verse five. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Several things in the passage, if, if, uh, if you mark in your Bible, note the emphasis over and over again in these verses of my relationship with God as my foundation of relationship with my brothers and sisters in the faith. Over and again, that emphasis is brought up. In verse five, the slaves are to be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, As to Christ, as to Christ, not not looking just to the human master, but beyond the human master, because Paul reminds them, the human master is a master according to the flesh. That is, that relationship is temporary. That position is temporary. It's a fleshly, temporary, present relationship that will soon disappear, The thing that is permanent is the value that God gives to the individual and to the life of the individual in that position. So I am as to Christ. Be obedient. I am to be obedient to my masters as to Christ. And thus my service flows out not to my master directly, but beyond my master as to the Lord himself. That's that's an incredibly liberating principle to think that uh, my present relationship, wife, child, slave, is temporary. It's, it's not a permanent thing. And uh, tried to stress that yesterday, that we need to see this life as not all there is and not even the most important chunk of what there is, that this life here in the flesh at this time in this present uh, set of relationships is temporary and passing. I was thinking about this earlier today and I was reminded that uh, when, when Abraham answers the rich man concerning Lazarus, the rich man is in hell. He lifts up his eyes and sees Lazarus and says, tell that, tell that Lazarus, that, that poor guy up there, that, that slave, Send him down here to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue, because I'm tormenting his flame. Make that slave serve me. (laughs) And Abraham says, wake up, rich man. That's over. You in your lifetime receive good things. In your lifetime, you receive good things. A reminder that every benefit that the rich man had was a benefit that was given to him, not something that he deserved to earn, but something that was given to him by God. You in your lifetime received good things. Lazarus received evil things. Likewise, a reminder that whatever, whatever terrible stress Lazarus had as he laid at the rich man's door at his gate, full of sores, uh, begging, dogs licking his wounds, whatever, whatever terrible condition that brings to your mind, It was a condition that he received. God knew all about it. God was managing it. God could have changed it. God chose not to do that. In America, we have this twisted idea that we all, we all Americans, are somehow entitled to the best there is and all there is and all we want of what there is. You you feel that? And the slightest thing goes wrong or, or. economics go down instead of up, or health goes off instead of on, and suddenly we pout, suddenly we we feel that life's not fair. Well, you're in the flesh. And God knows all about what it means to be in the flesh. And when he himself came to this earth, he himself said, the birds of the air have nests, and the foxes have dens, but I don't have where to lay my head. So wake up. (laughs) Wake up. If difficulty, if stress, if pain, if disappointment, if being let down, if ill health, if those things come upon you, don't feel that you're abandoned. God knows all about that. And it's a temporary thing. It's temporary. It's temporary. It's not permanent, it's temporary. So Abraham said to the rich man, "Now concerning Lazarus, he is now comforted, and you are tormented. He is now comforted, you are tormented. Not only had the roles reversed, but they had reversed to a permanent stature. And remember, it's not because the rich man was rich. Abraham was far more wealthy during his days of his flesh far more wealthy than what the rich man could have been. So it wasn't that because you're rich, you're damned to hell. It's because you did not recognize God. You did not honor God. You did not use the wealth that God entrusted to you appropriately, and therefore you, Pierced yourself through with many sorrows to pick up from Paul's quote. Here's warning in 1st Corinthians 6 about those who desire to be rich How covetousness overwhelms them and how they end up? Self-destroyed wealth can be a horrible thing health can be a slippery thing to manage ill health slavery Submission subjection to powers and pressures that are not pleasant, those things are many times God's gracious angels sent to turn our attention to things that are eternal, rather than things that are only temporal. So so the sanctity of life and our treating of other people as being worthy of respect, all of that flows out of an understanding that this is temporary. This is just temporary. This is not permanent. And if I am a slave now, so be it. So be it. I reminded all of us yesterday that a part of Paul's lengthy discussion here in Ephesians and Colossians may well have been caused by the fact that he is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Philemon was a leader in the church at Colossae. And the letter we call Ephesians was probably the letter that was sent to that neighboring community. And Paul said, I want you to read that letter and make sure the people over at that community read the letter I'm sending to you. Philemon was a, was a big man in the church. The church met in his home. He was well known. And what a crushing test came to him when Onesimus showed up, not only with Paul's blessing, but with a request from Paul that Onesimus be received by Philemon as his slave, but now as his brother. Think of that. And that whatever Onesimus had done to discredit himself in the eyes of Philemon, that was to be put on Paul's account. And Onesimus was to be forgiven. And then when they sat in the church, Onesimus and Philemon were to sit side by side. And when you sit in the church, the husband and the wife are equals. And you sit in the church, the child and the parent are equals these temporary, these transition, these social distinctions, these educational differences, and all of these things are not the basis of evaluating somebody else's worth and dignity and responding to them. We are to be obedient to those who are our masters as unto the Lord, because they're our masters according to the flesh. Got that? Now, Paul adds this phrase in verse 5 that you didn't find in Colossians, and it stresses what I've just said. He says that the slaves are to be obedient to those who are their masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Paul does not try to change the social structures. Paul recognized that these institutions of slavery and other inequities in society are here, and they're going to be here until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. He didn't try to change Rome. He didn't try to change the courthouse. He didn't try to change the government structures outside. He tried very hard, however, to have people within the church to understand that when you come through the door of the church into the body of Christ, within the church, those distinctions are laid aside. And in the church, deeper truths take over and govern our relationships with each other. But that doesn't mean when we go outside the church back into the world that we are therefore free to to act as non-slaves, or to act as a non-husband, or to act as a non-wife, or act as a non-child. It's a tremendous balance the Apostle Paul is uh, trying to give to us in all of this. Well... Notice in verse six, Paul says, not with thy service as men pleases, but as slaves of Christ, as slaves of Christ, verse seven, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. The slave who is a Christian, Onesimus, now has a new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look down at verse nine, the same thing happens to the master. You masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also, your own master also. That is, the same Onesimus's master and Philemon's master was the same person. See? Great equality, great balance, great wisdom. And what Paul is writing here, and those who have been born again ought to, in the social and domestic relationships, exhibit their honor and their goodwill toward God by their goodwill and their service to men. That's, That's how you do it. That's how you show what your true attitude is toward God. So while I must maintain the responsibility and the command as a husband to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I at the same time must be subject unto her when it comes to recognizing her dignity, her worth, her value, her equality. She is not my, my slave. She's the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm the slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that we're absolutely, we're absolutely bound. We're equal put it in Peter's language, in 1 Peter chapter 3, when he says, now listen, you husbands, he said, you dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as one of the weaker vessels, being heirs together of the grace of God, lest your prayers be hindered. Whoa. So what Paul does is, Paul takes all of the inequality out of the relationship without disturbing the necessary social order that God has put in place. He causes us to rise above that, not by changing the order, but by changing the heart, and therefore the attitude and the motivation of the person who is in the, quote, upper position, and the attitude and position of the person who is in the, quote, lower position. We are all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our attitudes and relationships with each other need to reflect that. Now, in verse uh, verse 8, knowing that what good thing anybody does, he will receive the same from the Lord, from the Lord. Who writes your paycheck? Who's responsible for your care? Who are you looking to for your social security? Who has guaranteed you that as your days, so shall your strength be? Who put his blood-soaked signature on a contract that says, all things are being managed for your good by my sovereign hand? Who is it that said that he would meet every need you have? Who who, who said that? Your husband? Oh, Your boss? Certainly not. Your child? Certainly not. See, one of the reasons why I think the Social Security program has been such a terrible thing in our country is because it has caused people to turn for their sense of relief away from family to Washington. Those guys don't want to give a rip about you. Let's wake up. This is election year. All they want is your permission to spend your money and to lord it over you. Now, I know that's a gross, bad thing. I know that sounds very cynical, but frankly, I've got a right to be cynical. I've been around long enough now to see how this system works. Your government owes you nothing, and your government knows that. Your government isn't going to show up at your funeral, but your family will. And when that relationship between the family and that sense of dependence upon the family shifted away from from my children to my state government and my, my social security system, suddenly that restraint that God built there weakened the web of the relationship between parents, children, children and parents. Now let's be thankful for whatever advantages may be derived to us from that system, but let's not be mistaken as to what that system has done to the larger issue, the larger issue of family relationships. Yesterday, I was thinking somewhere in the message I needed to say something about the, the new laws about abortion where you know a, a girl who's 18 years old in most states can't, can't buy a pack of cigarettes, can't, can't buy beer, she can't, she can't, she can't, she can't, but in some states now, she can get an abortion, even telling her parents amazing amazing and whatever else is wrong with that one of the things that is supremely wrong with that is the deterioration of the family unit the family relationship i'm telling you when that when that girl has that experience and then two three four years later she she begins to harvest all the bad stuff that comes with that who does she turn to well ultimately she's gonna have to go back to her parents she'll learn very quickly what the prodigal son learned that as long as you're spending it and buying of the rounds you'll have lots of friends but when you spent all and you began to be in want and you go out there in that pig pen and you sit out there by yourself desiring to fill your belly with the husks that the swine are eating you begin to think, hey, you know, it wasn't so bad back home. wasn't so bad. Back there, dad's servants get three squares every day, clean linen. Well this passage tells us that there's some things we need to know that undergird our sense of, of proper relationship with those around us, despite the positions they may hold, the education they have, or their social values. And one of the things that's supreme is to know that the Lord is the rewarder. The Lord is the rewarder. And if I do good as unto the Lord, there will be a reward. And that reward doesn't have to take place in this life. There is the judgment seat of Christ where these things are finally settled and where full equity is paid. And where doing evil cuts into the reward that could have been and God desired to give to you or to me. And we took a shortcut, thought we were being smart and swift. Then we'll find out we were being fat, dumb, and stupid.
0: No slaves in heaven, no masters, no husbands and wives. Just brothers and sisters, the children of one father. And those who aren't yet a part of the family may be adopted in before it's too late. The play isn't over yet. Jim revised and extended his remarks from the previous sermon, so he calls this one The People of God Are Disciplined, Part 2. If you'd like to get the message on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. The People of God is the name of the current study. You can have all 17 sermons in a CD album for your donation of $59 or more. When this radio ministry began in 1968, the fabric of society seemed to be unraveling. There was war abroad and rebellion at home. There was a need for a clear call to faith in Christ, as there is today. Fortunately, you can amplify that call. You can pray and maybe give financially to minister along with us, thanks to those who are involved already. Call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800 984 2313 Find us on the web at rightstartradio.org. There you can hear this radio program again and many programs from our library. And you can play or download complete sermons by Pastor Jim all free. Subscribe to the Right Start podcast on iTunes. We'll give you a link on our site. And you can donate securely online at rightstartradio.org. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Next up is a unique sermon about a unique people. We'll close out August with a peculiar edition of Right Start.